0: We wouldn't listen to any Christian music, let alone any secular music that had any sort of a drum beat to it. So if you go to any regular church and they got people in there with guitars and blue lights or even a drum in the back, they see that as almost satanic worship. So my perception of God from a very, very early age was that he's a God of judgment and a God of fire and brimstone and a God of the law more so than he is a God of love and grace and acceptance and guidance and direction. But I had so much anger on God. How could how could you let this happen to me? Why me? Why did I have to get grown up? Why was I raised in this crap? Why did my father have to leave at five? Why did I get stuck with people who care more about their religious preferences than even having a good relationship with their own son? Why me?
1: Let me ask you a question. What do you believe about God? Do you view God as being close or far away? Do you see God as a deity or a friend? Is he caring or judging? Do you believe that God's love is based upon how good you perform? What if I make bad choices? Is God just waiting for me to mess up so that he can condemn my behavior? What if I totally turned my back on God? Does he still want a relationship with me? Many times, my view of God is based upon how I was raised and not what the Bible says about God. Sometimes a church that I grew up in and even my parents can give me a wrong perception of who God is. How do I change my view of this higher power and draw near to the real God of the Bible? These are the questions that I want to ask our guest today as he tells us about his life change story. I'm Eric Hutchinson, and this is the If Nothing Changes podcast. Our guest today is Zooming in all the way from Arlington, Texas. So, hey, friend, why don't you introduce yourself and let the listeners know who you are?
0: My name is Jesse Jackson, and Eric, thanks so much for having me on. It's an honor to be here and hope my story today can impact somebody's life. Uh, I'm a father, a husband, I own two gyms here in Arlington, Texas called Inner Strength Fitness, and I'm excited to, to share my story of life change and uh, all the things that God's done and all the things that uh, He's currently doing in my life. So thank you for the opportunity.
1: So why don't you tell us a little bit about your beginnings? Uh, where were you born? Where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about your family dynamic.
0: So I was born in Bluff, Bluffington, Indiana up north, so I don't have a Texas accent, according to most people. Um, I count that as an honor. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I was born there, lived there for five or six years. My biological father was an assistant pastor at a church. Uh, it's, my family's always been in the ministry. I have four brothers who are in full-time ministry. Both my grandfathers are pastors that have been in full-time ministry for a little over 50 years, and... That was my dynamic growing up. Was we were always in the ministry and always in church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, always in church Wednesday night, Thursday night. We were going out, soul winning, knocking on doors, trying to get people to know more about Jesus and come visit the church. And you know that that's the dynamic I grew up in was very, very focused on. You know our religious upbringing, and my biological father ended up having an affair uh, with the pastor's wife. <laughs> Um, And so my parents ended up divorcing, and my father wasn't in my life past the age of five. We ended up moving from Indiana to Oklahoma City, where I lived with my grandparents for a few years while my mom was trying to figure out what her new life was going to be like. And that started a journey of a lot of conflict and a lot of internal battles that I didn't know how to deal with. You know, here I was in this super religious upbringing where there was very strong rights and very strong wrongs and a lot of preferences. And I was the product of one of the worst things that can happen in a very strict religious background, which was divorce affairs, a lot of shame. You know, I definitely saw how mistakes can lead to a lot of shame that turns into addictions or dysfunction or or whatnot.
1: So let me ask you a question. So you said your biological father left when you were five. So were Mm -hmm. you close to your father and your mother? I mean, I know your father left or after he left, did he still play a part in your growing up or did he just totally abandon the family? I mean, tell me a little bit about that.
0: After the divorce happened, my mom had a place to stay with her parents, my grandparents in Oklahoma City. And so that put a lot of distance from us. And I did see him once or twice a year up until about the age of nine. And, but I didn't really have any contact past the age of nine with him. That's, that's when the real kind of abandonment started at nine. But because I only saw him like twice a year that as a child, I definitely felt that and had so many questions, a lot of confusion about why is he not here Why is he not a part of my life? Why can't I see him more? And my mom, you know, she had so much to deal with. She didn't really, and I I have empathy for it now as a father myself and a grown man. She didn't really know how to have that conversation with me. And what parent knows how to have that conversation with their, their kid? It's not an easy conversation to have. You have to be real mature and you have to have a lot of, I think, consciousness and spiritual guidance even in, in order to be able to, how do I help my child deal with what's happened the best way possible? And I've forgiven whatever I need to forgive for the mistakes that were made by my family and not really knowing how to coach me or raise me through that. They did the best they could.
1: So let me ask you this. So you moved to Oklahoma uh, after your dad left or, you know, and your mom moved to Oklahoma with your grandparents. And how soon was it that your mom got into another relationship? And how was your, so once you, your mom got married and now you're merging two families. So how was your relationship with your stepdad? I mean, did you guys get along well? I mean, was that, did that go well?
0: That's a good, that's a really great, great question. I was nine years old when my mom remarried and, step my stepfather and he lived in paris texas which is where i ended up growing up half of my childhood and i only met him maybe two or three times briefly for a day at a time maybe before all of a sudden we're packing up and we're moving in with him and so that process was very rushed for me um i remember even when i heard that my mom was about to go on a date with another man I never even met him. And I just remember it struck me like a knife in the heart. I'm like eight, nine years old. And I guess looking back, I had this hope that somehow my mom and father would figure it out. But that dynamic was very rushed for me to have a stepfather in my life. And my stepfather did the best he could, but he, he did not know how to connect with me without feeling as if, though, I was rejecting him and I was forced to call him dad from the very get go, which I look back now and and to be direct with you, it was kind of a violation or a overstep of that process. Calling your having, being forced to call your stepdad, dad, I think is something that it messes with your psyche when you know, you have a real father out there. But it was very forced on me so my relationship with my stepdad was very strained Uh, he had a lot of anger issues Um, he was very verbally abusive off and on all growing up a couple times was very physically abusive he had a lot of anger issues from how he was raised and because that's how he was treated growing up and he never dealt with the things that were happening uh, in in his childhood and so here he is re-perpetrating that onto his children And I definitely think I got the brunt of it because one, I wasn't his real son, but two, because I was old enough to have memories of my real father, I had questions, and I was always kind of an independent thinker. I wanted to know why. That's just always been, I think, the God-given spirit or the, I call it the stallion in me that God put in me, is to know why. And me asking questions in that very kind of legalistic environment, wanting to know why, not just accepting yes for yes or Why does, you know, I was always the kid that would ask, why do things have to be this way? So my relationship with him was, was never good growing up and him and I just don't really have anything in common, even to this day. Uh, I have a respectful relationship with him now. It's not strained. It's not anything that's contentious, but there's not necessarily a closeness there. And, uh, even with my mom, you know, they're, they're still so wrapped up in this very rigid, legalistic, uh, way of doing their relationship with Christ, that there's not a lot of room for anybody else to come in and have any differences. So, and and by the way, I grew up in what you call the independent fundamental Baptist sector of Baptists, which you probably know, Eric, because you went to seminary. They tend to be the most rigid, by the letter, I call it very Pharisaical or Sadduceical approach to your relationship with God. And I've always found it interesting that when Jesus talked very direct and bold and almost harshly in Scripture, the people He was talking to like that were the Pharisees and Sadducees. But we see Him time and time again having compassion and empathy for the whore or for the drunken or for the poor. He constantly showed love and compassion for those who were struggling, but those who Claim to be God's authority, and you need to listen to us. He called him hypocrites and venomous snakes. Right, so that was my my upbringing was all in that, and it was it was kind of an outlier that I grew up in that, while also being in a divorced family that could no longer be in ministry.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so let me ask you a question. So your dad was your biological dad was a pastor and so it must have been quite a scandal and everything whenever he had an affair. So whenever your mom moved to Oklahoma and in with your grandparents, and you moved over there and your your families merged, did you stay in that church as well, or did you guys change churches? Did your stepdad, was he involved in that church as well?
0: Yes. Due to the expectations of the religion and the family and all the people in her life, she would not have even considered going on a date with someone who was not in that particular sect of religion. I mean, if we're independent fundamental Baptists and you say, I'm a Southern Baptist, that would have automatically canceled. We are not compatible. It it was that it's not enough for you just to be a Baptist or be a Christian. Definitely couldn't be non-denominational. You had to be this particular sector of belief systems within the Baptist religion. And so we stayed in the same, not the exact same church. When we moved to Paris, Texas, we went to another independent fundamental Baptist church.
1: So it's, it doesn't sound like there's a lot of grace uh, in that denomination. No. So uh, was it kind of like our denomination is the only ones that are going to heaven? I mean, what's, I mean, what was their belief about other people?
0: Yeah, you know, there's a, a saying, you may have heard this before, they always believe that there's the perfect will of God, and then there's the permissive will. Where if you're not in direct alignment with everything they believe, that you're a black sheep, you're a prodigal son, that God can still use you and God can maybe even still bless you. But you're not really living up to your full potential unless you follow all these little jots and tittles and preferences. And what we would look at as their preference, they see as biblical convictions, so for, I'll give you some examples. You know, women were not allowed, allowed to wear pants because they believed that pants were, was wearing something that pertaineth unto a man. We wouldn't listen to any Christian music, let alone any secular music, that had any sort of a drum beat to it. So if you go to any regular church and they got people in there with guitars and blue lights or even a drum in the back, they see that as almost satanic worship. And even if you're using the name of God, even if you're— well-intended in your heart, God is not pleased at all with what you're doing. Um, We weren't allowed to have friends outside of the religious circle. And every church—and it's important to understand that independent fundamental Baptists, that word independent is very, very important to them because they believe every church operates as its its own independent, autonomous organization, where no other pastor, no board of directors at some other— a corporate site has any insight or regulation of how you run your church. So the pastor of that one church behaves and has the power almost of a cult leader, where whatever he says, whatever he thinks, he's been anointed by God, and for you to question him is questioning God himself. When you think about the word cult, it's just a system of beliefs that's mainly led by one man and his interpretation of things. Yeah, growing up in that, Was very shaming and very the way that they chose to handle anything was fire and brimstone, judgment. So, my perception of God from a very, very early age was that He's a God of judgment and a God of fire and brimstone and a God of the law more so than He is a God of love and grace and acceptance and guidance and direction. But the culture was so that if you make a mistake if you have any questions that we don't really like then you're questioning god himself you are out of line my exposure to my faith was grounded in that all growing up and i did ask jesus to save me when i was 11. that's very real that wasn't something that was forced on me i i had a real moment where i knew i needed jesus i needed to be saved i needed to have my sins forgiven, and I needed to take him on as the master of my life. But past that, there was no real graceful foundation for me to approach being in relationship with Jesus in a way that was sustainable for my life.
1: Were you also kind of indoctrinated? Where hey, I'm going to be a pastor, or I'm going to what were what did you believe about yourself, and where did that lead you?
0: Great question. The first time I ever even taught anything from the Bible, I was in kindergarten, first grade, and I literally was opening up a Bible, teaching a Bible story to my fellow five or six-year-olds. That's how young that indoctrination and programming started. So after high school, I it was expected, and I got sent to an independent fundamental Baptist college called Oklahoma Baptist College in Oklahoma City. And so I went to Bible college where I was going to be trained to be a preacher. You know, it's their, their seminary to train preachers exactly step-by-step step how they believe. You know, you, you asked about my identity. My identity was that I was going to be that guy, that preacher. I didn't know anything else. That's all I was raised in. I was good at it, according to so many people in the IFB. I was articulate. I was confident. Even though I had a lot of internal struggles and insecurities— I could put on my my face to go out there and, and do what I was taught to do. So, you know, I was raised to be a preacher in that environment, and I made it through a year and a half of going to that school. And I had a girlfriend. Um, I wasn't even technically allowed to call her my girlfriend, but there was a girl at the, the college. And by the way, all the girls were raised to be pastors' wives, missionaries' wives. You know, they're there to be basically servants to their husband's ministry. That's pretty much what they were. The girls were raised to be that. And I was on tour and the girl that I was dating, her family saw how legalistic things were and they just had enough after three or four years of being there and decided to leave and pretty much go to another independent fundamental Baptist church that they thought was better. Well, when her family left the church, my grandpa calls me and says, hey, if they're not for us, they're against us. So you can't date her anymore that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Um, I had grown up in, you know, kind of an abusive, shameful upbringing. I had so much rage and anger, and I was just sick and tired of being told exactly how I was supposed to think, exactly what I was supposed to wear, exactly what I could or couldn't listen to. I just had no room to be my own authentic individual person. My identity was what I was programmed to be. And I always knew in my heart, there's got to be more than this. But what I wanted was, how can I still have a relationship with people I love and care about and not be a part of this anymore? And I was too young and dumb to know that was never going to happen. So I got kicked out of the college and I had a massive release of just I could finally breathe. But I also had a lot of hurt, and a lot of trauma, because it's not easy for anybody to all of a sudden have your mom, your family, everybody who calls you friend. They're no longer Talking to you, you're away from God. You go, and of course, from their perspective, we didn't abandon you. You left us, Jesse. That's the way they see it. And I didn't have a friend in the world except for a best friend who left with me. And I was, you know, so I, I was working at a job at a uh, a warehouse when I was in college, just to make money. And I was in the break room a couple weeks after this all went down. Because I I lived in my car for a couple of weeks because I I didn't have anywhere to go, and you know I had no money. I was just like you know it, that was a really really tough period for me, and I was in the break room on break and I was working night shift. You know I worked forty hours a week and then went to school like fifteen hours twenty hours a week or whatever, and uh, I was in the break room and I was just crying because I and I was the only one in there, so I just kind of had a moment where I was just crying because I'm like I'm all alone, and a friend of mine at work. Who obviously wasn't in the IFB, he says, Hey man, what's going on? I didn't expect anybody to be in there. And of course I'm embarrassed because back then I didn't think the boys should cry and definitely not in front of other people. He's like, Well, man, if you need a place to stay, my wife and I have a spare bedroom we can rent out to you. And so I was like, Okay. Well, turns out, um, he lived literally next door to my grandparents. (laughs) And I I had no idea. And so after getting kicked out of this IFB, you know, cults in the college and being excommunicated by my family, I end up moving literally next door, like 20 feet from my grandparents' house. And to this day, they probably think I did that on purpose despite them. And I'm like, no, that was just the only place I had to go was there because I couldn't afford to get my own apartment. I didn't have money for a down payment, um, nothing. So I moved in there. Well, what I didn't know when I moved in there was that they were party animals. I, I had no idea. So this is the first time in my life. I'm 19 years old. And they, you know, they're drinking tons of alcohol, whipping out cocaine on the weekends. And the first weekend I was there, he's like, hey, man, now that you're out, why don't you come experience the good life? That's pretty much not in those exact exact words, but that's what he said. And, of course, you got to understand, I was so programmed that alcohol is bad. Don't even be around it. A sip of it could kill you, you know, kind of stuff. And I'm at this party and, you know, I'm kind of locked locked back in my bedroom because I just wasn't comfortable being around it. But I was in no place to be like, hey, please don't do that around me, you know. And, you know, they offered me a drink and said no. And they're like, hey, man, just, just try a little sniff of this. And I was so tempted to do it because I was like, I lo- I'd, I'd had nothing. And I just had this, I was so tempted to, to say yes. And I was just like, I, it was everything in me to say no to just snorting cocaine. I ended up leaving because I just needed to get away and, you know, I came back and I slept and I was just so overwhelmed with the reality of the actual world that I never grew up in. My family's gone, you know, I have nobody and I was driving to, I think the, the grocery store to get some, you know, some groceries or whatnot. And I'm just on the road and then everything just hits me super hard. And I'm just like cathartically crying in the car. So much so that I'm like, I can barely even focus on driving. So I pull over into a parking lot and I'm just wailing, crying. I'm pounding my hand in the steering wheel. I'm just getting out of motion because I just don't know what to do. Had nobody there. feel like my family's abandoned me. I don't even know what I think about God anymore. And I'm just, this probably went on for five minutes and I'm just like banging. I'm like, I remember lifting up my knuckles and I'm pretty sure I cracked one of my knuckles because I was just so Enraged, like, how could these people do this to me? I know that I'm not doing what they want me to do, but you guys are supposed to love me. Like, I don't know what to do. And after I finally settled down and just kind of got out some of my emotion, I got snot everywhere, and my, my face looks beat red. My eyes are probably bloodshot from all the tears. I look up and I see a gym, and that gym's name was All American Fitness. And I was always into like doing push ups at home growing up, and I always liked running and trying to stay in shape. I just always Loved that growing up. I love sports. I played basketball. And something prompted me to go into that gym. And I, didn't, I had no plans in doing that. I walked in and, you know, the owner of that gym, you know, set me, you know, set me up with a membership and signed me up with a trainer. And I didn't even have the money to do any of that. I don't, it was probably stupid of me to spend the money, but that was, God was telling me to go in there. And I didn't know it at the time. And he set me up with a trainer named Trevor. And Trevor's like this five foot seven, five foot eight, perfect bodybuilder. And kind of intimidating, but just great personality from Louisiana. So he had like a Louisiana accent, kind of like the, the Cajun accent. And we did a consultation where he was just like, okay, let's talk about your fitness goals. And I'm like, I, I don't even know what my fitness goals are, man. I, I was. <laughs> In my head, I'm like, I'm just I was out in the parking lot, beating the steering wheel, full of rage and crying. And he could probably still see that, like, my eyes were, <laughs> you know, I just got there and crying. And he's like, but he took the time to say, what is it that you want? What's going on, man? And I've I just without even caring if he wanted to know, I just started crying again and telling him about everything that happened. And he sat there with me for two hours, way longer than he needed to. And just let me cry my eyes out and talk about everything that had happened. And I actually, because of that, I felt so safe there and inspired. I started working out and training with him two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays at like one or two in the afternoon. And I trained with him for probably a year to a year and three months range. And it really kept me from pursuing a different lifestyle that wasn't going to be healthy for me. So that was the start of my fitness journey, was going through everything from the cult to going to get trained to be preached or to be a preacher to having that moment where I think God saw me in need and gave me an outlet. And I wasn't ready yet in my heart to be like, God, thank you. Like, like Thank you for this opportunity. I I couldn't even see at the time that that was God's way of giving me some guardrails to keep me from really just throwing my life away.
1: So how did you turn back to God? Because I know who Jesse is today. So uh, mm-hmm. it sounds to me like you, you know, you, you've... Trevor helped you transition out of that, and now you've got uh, a new purpose, a new thing that you're looking at. So were you angry at God? Did you just uh, forget about God altogether, or what turned you back to God?
0: So from 18 or 19 when I left until about 28, 29, so a 10-year span, I never lost my faith. I always believed in God. I had moments where maybe I would say prayer but I had so much anger on God. How could, how could you let this happen to me? Why me? Why did I have to get grown up? Why was I raised in this crap? Why did my father have to leave at five? Why did I get stuck with people who care more about their religious preferences than even having a good relationship with their own son? Why me? There's a little bit of a victim mentality. Um, so for 10 years, you know, I ended up becoming a personal trainer because I had such a positive experience with Trevor. I was in my profession and I was good at it. And I saw success. I became a master trainer at uh, the big gym I worked at when I first moved to the DFW Dallas-Fort Worth area here in Texas. And something prompted me to start my own business. And I didn't see it as God at the time, but I look back and know it was. And, but my God became fitness. It became my profession. That's all I cared about, all I thought about, because I just wasn't ready to—I didn't feel safe or comfortable pursuing a relationship with God. I mean, I went through a phase where I was kind of nihilistic, was questioning whether I even really believed that there was a God or not, definitely thought all church-going people were hypocrites because of what I had, I had experienced. But for 10 years, I made my profession my God. I did get married, and because I had so many internal demons— insecurities anger unresolved pain unfiltered rage i was not ready to be a good husband i wasn't all i cared about was my business my profession anything that my now ex-wife needed i saw as a deterrent from what i wanted and what i needed and that caused a lot of strains in our relationship we were married for a very brief two to three years Uh, We did have a beautiful son out of it, and I am so blessed to have my son. Uh, He lives most of the time with his mom now, but that divorce really humbled me, and God began to open my eyes to how much healing I needed to go through. And so uh, a friend of mine that I met through my gym, uh, his name's James, he uh, went goes to a church here in the area called Rush Creek. And James is a very successful guy in real estate. You you said you're in real estate. And James is someone who's very successful in business, real estate, has a beautiful family, has a lot of characteristics of a man that I would like to be. And so I was inspired by him, but he was a very strong believer in his faith. But he wasn't someone that was pounding it over my head. He wasn't someone that was living legalistically, but he was someone that I think just vibrated with the grace of God. He had a great family, success financially. And I was like, you know, there's a lot of things about this guy that are really attractive to be around. I'd like to learn from this guy. And the more I got to know James, the more I saw and the more he, you know, the more I trusted him, the more he began to speak life into me. And that friendship with him really caused me to begin to melt my heart. Piece by piece, I began to have these small moments of realization that there is a relationship to be had with God that is not grounded in this pharisaical, hypocritical foundation. And he he invited me to his church. I went to his church. You know, I went out to breakfast with him and my pastor Scott, started going to this Bible breakfast every Thursday morning. And so I think the most instrumental experience for me was that friendship with James and him just speaking life into me in a way where I could just relax and trust that I wasn't going to be excommunicated or constantly having to look over my shoulder about whether or not I'm walking the line as narrowly as I should.
1: So let me ask you this. It sounds to me like God intersected your life with some key people. God brought Mm -hmm. Trevor into your life. He brought James into your life. And uh, it's Mm -hmm. amazing, you know, looking back and seeing that, that path that you were on and how God intersected people with your life. How did you meet your current wife?
0: So my current wife was a client of my studio seven, eight years ago. And, and at that point in time, she was just a client and you know I always thought she was an, an awesome person, but I was married at the time and it was just a client, you know, professional relationship. And she ended up moving away 20, 30 minutes away where it was too far for her to come to the business and, and whatnot. So I lost contact with her for a year or two or whatever, just because, you know, the professional relationship wasn't there anymore. And, I reached out to her after going through my divorce was finalized and whatnot, because I always thought she was an awesome person and, you know, whatever. And I didn't reach out to her for any dating purpose or whatnot. But uh, we got to talking and I really realized how much of a good heart she had. She'd gone through her own divorce and through her, you know, that's that's how I met her. But through her I've and just how much grace and unconditional love she's shown me, I've realized even more how much. God really is the most unconditionally loving thing we could possibly fathom, like beyond, beyond what we can fathom. There's so many conditions in our world on if you behave well, then you'll get a bonus. If you behave well, then I'll love you. A lot of times getting reward, you know, our society is set up to reward behavior. God is set up to just love you as you are. And so that's how I met my wife. But through her, I've come even closer to God because of just who she is.
1: So let me ask you, what's the biggest difference between the way you viewed God as a young person and the way you view God now?
0: That's such a good, such a, good, a great question. God was seen as an overseeing judge and conqueror when I was a kid. And because my father was not in my life, the best way I know how to relate to God now is as my father. And when I think about how much I love my children— and what I want for them, I'm like, man, there's no way that what I want for them. It probably pales in comparison to what God wants for me. So I see God now and, and I choose to see him as my father, even though God goes by many names. Uh, when I pray, you know, just like the Lord's Prayer, I like to always say, Father, because for me, it prompts in me the realization that he gave me life and He has my best interest at heart. Having God as my Father is not a reason to live in shame. It's a reason to live in hope and confidence.
1: Amen, brother. Good word. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this question. Uh, Do you have a favorite Bible verse? Because you've got a whole lot of history uh, learning, memorizing, and learning the Bible. Uh, What's your favorite Bible verse today?
0: So my company's name is Inner Strength Fitness, and I named that after the verse Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It is a constant reminder of God gives us the sustainable energy we need to do the things we need in our life and to realize that I'm not here to do this through my own strength.
1: Well, Jesse, last question. Um, we have all different kinds of listeners from all different kinds of walks of life, and maybe some that can relate to your story as well. But if you could give one message to the listeners today, what would that be?
0: I believe it's in Psalms. David is literally praying, saying, God, if there's any iniquity, if there's any sin, if there's any issues in my life, show me. Another verse, David says, God created me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Something I would encourage people to do is to live in a constant state of openness to not not necessarily the question, what's wrong with me, but to say, God, where in my life can I improve? And you have to be radically open to the possibility that He just may give you an answer. If you have issues in your life, maybe you're still being run by insecurities from what happened in your childhood. Maybe you're living life with perspectives that are really limiting you and limiting you receiving the love and you giving love to those around you. So that, that's what I would say to people is to just pray the prayer of David there and say, God, create in me a clean heart and show me whatever it is in me that's blocking you, even if I can't see it. Open my eyes so I can see.
1: Thanks, Jesse, for sharing your story with us. Hey, if you are listening today and maybe you have a wrong perception of who God is, Maybe because of how you were raised, you feel that God's favor is based solely on your behavior. Maybe you've made some bad choices that in your opinion has disqualified you from a relationship with him. That's a lie. God loves you and cares for you no matter what you have done. God is not far away. Jeremiah 33.3 says, Call to me and I will answer you. God is standing at the door of your heart, knocking and speaking to you. All you have to do is answer. God can change your life. But if nothing changes, nothing changes. See you next time.